Take your Bibles if you would and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As you're turning to 1 Corinthians 15, I gotta say, I love camp. Um, I was a youth pastor for over five years, um, taking teens to camp, oh, probably 10, 12 times. Um, been up to Kobiak a ton. Uh, Brother Aaron Wilson, who's the director up there, is a good friend of mine. Um, I, I love camp. Um, camp's a great time for teenagers. It's a great time to get away from all the stuff going on in the world, um, going on in their world, and to really focus on the spiritual side of life. There's just one problem with camp. It's that because we create an environment that's away from everything, that allows these kids to really focus and, and really, really think about their spiritual lives in an environment that is purposely made the way that it is, unfortunately, there are times that those camp decisions don't stick. And before we think that this is a camp issue... How many of us have sat in a service, been moved by the message that was given, made a decision, and walked out those doors, and that decision went by the wayside when real life hit? And so tonight, I want to, I want to be real practical with you guys, um, and I want to look at the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to show three simple tips to make a decision stick. Three simple tips to make how to make a decision stick. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, we'll read just one verse. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know. That your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's go to the, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We thank you for these teens. We thank you for the decisions that were made. Father, we thank you for, for camp and the opportunity that they were afforded to go to camp. We thank you for Camp Kobiak and all the work and the ministry that they do to the teenagers and to youth leaders and to youth pastors and their families. Father, we, we thank you so much for the ministry that they provide. But, Father, as we get back to our routine, everyday lives, Father, I pray that you would help these teens' decisions to stick on Monday and Tuesday, on Friday, and into the next month. And, Lord, for us, I pray that you would help us to, as your Holy Spirit moves, to respond and to make the changes, not temporarily, but permanently. Father, work through your word in the hearts of your people tonight. We ask this all in your precious name. Amen. Three simple tips to make a decision stick from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. We start out with the word therefore, and I promise don't ignore that because we're coming back to it. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable. The first tip we come across in this verse is you need to firm up your footing. You need to firm up your footing. If you, again, these words, the words of scripture matter. 
And the words that are used here, steadfast, unmovable. The word steadfast is found three times in the entire New Testament. Twice it is translated as this word steadfast. Once it is translated the word settled. It comes from a root word that means sedentary. Something that has settled to a final spot. So that's the word steadfast. Um, I like words. I'm a nerd. We all know I'm a nerd. You guys have heard me enough to recognize that I am a nerd. It's not just history. It's not just geography. I'm a nerd for words too. Um, So I like the etymology. The, The other word we look at here, unmovable, is actually a composition of two Greek words. Um, it is, the, it is uh, the word movable with the prefix a, which means not. So the word immovable, this is deep, catch this, means not movable. I know that was some serious depth. Um, interestingly, this word is only found here in scripture. It's, a, it's the only time this, is found, this word is found in scripture. Overall, what this teaches us is that we need to fasten ourselves and refuse to be moved. So what does this mean in the practical everyday life? Like we're not just defining words. We're not just going through a dictionary. What's this mean in everyday life? Let me give you two things. Number one, be resilient. Be resilient. If you are serious about your decision that you made for God, you need to have some tenacity about it. You need to have some stick to about it. There needs to be a sense of, well, these words, steadfast and unmovable. There needs to be a sense of, I am not moving from this spot. This is where I stand, and I'm not going anywhere. We see a beautiful picture of this idea of tenacity in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 11 and 12, David is going through his mighty men. He's coming to the end of his life, and he's going through, and he's essentially memorializing or commending many of the mighty men who have fought with him step by step through the way. And there's this mighty man named Shammah. This guy is so cool. Um, if you ever want an interesting read, 2 Samuel chapter 23 is fascinating. Um, but this guy, Shammah, he, it says in 2 Samuel 23, verse 11, And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. And the Philistines were gathered together in a troop, where it was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it, and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. So here's what happened. Shammah's got this little patch of land that he's there to defend. The Philistines come marching up, and everybody runs away except this one guy. He stands there, and he fights. He's not giving up his ground. He's not backing down. He's going to fight until he dies or there's a victory. And we see at the end of that verse, it says, The Lord wrought a victory that day. That tenacity is what we need when it comes to making a decision for God. I don't care what you throw at me. I don't care what you say is wrong. I don't care what your opinion is. This is how God has worked in me, and I'm not moving until he moves me. You see, our decisions for God, if if they're going to stick, it's going to take a little bit of tenacity. It's going to take a little bit of resilience. 
Listen to me. If God moved you to make that decision, regardless of what anyone says or does, regardless of what obstacles you face, you need to perform that decision with tenacity. Let me tell you, I heard a lot of, I need to read my Bible more. And amen, don't we all? I hope you will read your Bible more. I hope you'll stick to that commitment. But I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a time on like November 17th when the temperature unexpectedly dropped and you're nice and warm and cozy in your bed. And that alarm is going to go off for you to read your Bible. And you're going to want to do nothing else but stay in that bed. When those situations arise, the only thing that gets you to stick to your decision is your tenacity, is your resiliency. So as we consider firming up, firm, to firm up our footing, we have to be resilient. And then please don't get, and please get this, be prepared. I want you to understand, any decision we make for God, Satan wants nothing more than to move you from that decision. I want you to understand, Satan's not out for your good. The first half of John chapter 10, verse 10 tells us, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Satan doesn't want you to be successful. Satan doesn't want you to have an abundant life. Satan doesn't want you to succeed. He wants to destroy you. And so if you're going to stand up for God, if you're going to make a decision for God, you need to understand that Satan is coming at you to destroy you. In fact, if you make a decision for God, I want you to understand you can expect all the fury of the demons of hell to attack you, to move you from that decision. You have to be prepared. Satan is going to use every trick in his book to knock you off that, that decision. I think of the story of Job. Right? We, we, we come to the book of Job, first two chapters, and Satan has to stand before God. Very interesting study there if you ever want to take a, take a look into that. But Satan is entirely um, under the authority of God. Satan comes to God and God says, where you been? Satan says, well, I'm going to and fro throughout the earth. God looks at him and says, you consider my servant Job? Satan looks at God and says, does Job fear God for naught? Job's got everything. Job's a rich man. He's got a great family. He's got, um, he's got everything he could want. Of course he's going to fear you. God looks at him and says, fine. You can do anything you want to Job. You just can't touch him. You can't touch him physically. So Satan takes away all the wealth that Job's got, all of the sources of wealth Job's got. And then one day, his, all of his sons and daughters are eating in a house, and the house basically collapses in, and they all die. And it says, and Job, it says that through all this, Job does not uh, sin against God with his lips or curse God foolishly. Now look, I got two kids. I'm going to tell you, Something happened to both my kids in the course of a day, and I would really struggle with not questioning God. I, I, being very forthright with you guys, that would be really hard. So after that happens, Satan comes back. God says, you consider Job? 
He's like, well, any man will retain his integrity if you, keep, if you spare his life. As long as, he's, as long as he's got his health, he's good. God says, fine, you can do anything but kill him. And Satan runs him through the ringer. He sticks him medically in about the worst spot that you could be in, where Job is sitting in ashes, scraping boils with broken pieces of pot. The truth of the matter is, when Job, when Satan saw an upright man who was living for God, he threw everything he had at him. Can I tell you, if you're going to stick with a decision for God, you can expect Satan to attack. And it's not going to be a convenient attack. And it's not going to be a simple battle. And he's not going to lob you little softballs that you can knock out of the park. He is coming with you, at you with all the force he's got. So if you're going to firm up your footing, you better be resilient and you better be prepared. We keep reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, we keep reading. Not only do we need to firm up our footing, but we need to find the fruit. Find the fruit. Again, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Okay? That word always means at all times in every circumstance. It's a pretty important word. Um, that means when things are going great and when things are going bad. Okay? The idea of abounding here is superabundance or excess. It's found 39 times in the New Testament. And, and again, it's it just got the idea of, of not enough, um, not more than enough, but overflowing with. It, again, super excess is, I think, the best definition of that word. So here's what I'm going to say. If you're going to make a decision stick, you need to acknowledge the victories. We talked about Satan. Satan wants you to fail. Satan wants to destroy. It's pretty cool. In the second half of John chapter 10 and verse 10, we have the first half is God's side. The second half is Satan's side. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am come that they might have life. And they might have it more abundantly. You see, God wants you to succeed. The decisions that we make, right? The camp decisions, the decisions that we make in the service. God is not trying to trick you into messing up. God wants nothing more than to see you succeed. But I want you to understand the abundant life. The abounding fruit doesn't happen overnight. Um, there's a concept in scripture, and not trying to get technical and theological with you, but it's called progressive sanctification. The simple idea is that when you get saved, you don't become all of a sudden perfectly 100% sanctified that moment. Your sanctification comes by day after day after day. After day, wouldn't we like it if it just happened like that? Wouldn't that be a whole lot easier? But you know, without the struggle, we don't learn. We don't get stronger. So the Christian growth is a process. Listen, the goal is to be closer to God, to more, more cl- closer, close, yeah, closer to God than you, today 
than you were yesterday. That's the goal. If you are closer to God today than you were yesterday, that is a success. But we don't rest on our laurels. Because now the goal is to be closer to God tomorrow than I was today. And that's the idea of this progressive sanctification. That's the idea of Christian growth as a process. Again, you're not going to be super Christian day one after you get saved. It's a process. It's going to take time. And the goal is to do that day after day improvement until God takes you home. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 is a very familiar verse. It says, being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know when I will be 100% sanctified? When I am present with God. That's the only time it's going to happen. Until then, it will be a day-by-day process growth. And so again, and, and I, and I, wanna, I do want to emphasize this. If you made a decision... Your goal is to make is to fulfill that decision today. And then do it again tomorrow. I'm not worried about five weeks from now. Okay? If you're gonna stick to a decision, you can't go, I have to be perfect all the time. You've got to go, I've got to be better tomorrow than I was today. Now, in finding the fruit and celebrating the victories, please understand we have to think about the fact that. You're not going to do it perfectly from here on out. And so the second tip I will give is, if you fail, get back up. Along the way, I want you to understand that there are going to be trip-ups. If you, if you say, I'm going to read my Bible more, that's a great thing to do. And then in five days, you miss a day. you got a choice at that spot. You can give up. Or you can go, okay... I missed, five, I missed this day. I'm going to pick right back up tomorrow. Vince Lombardi, great NFL football coach of the Green Bay Packers back in the 60s, said, it's not how many times you get knocked down, but how many times you get back up. God put it a little better, in my opinion. In Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16, he says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. I, I, I love this verse. This is becoming a, a, a verse that, that really, really hits home for me. Because I'm going to be honest, sometimes I fall. And it is, it is within my personality that I'm going, I failed. What's the point of trying anymore? Because I'm just going to fail again. But what that verse teaches me is that God knew that I'd fall. And he's not saying, you're useless, you're worthless, you messed up. What am I ever going to do with you? He says, you fall, just rise back up. You fall, rise back up. Happens seven, eight, nine, fifteen times. You fall, rise back up. This is, in my opinion, where most decisions fall apart. Most decisions have the intent and they get going, moving forward for a week or two weeks. And then something slips up, something happens that you miss, and then you feel like you just fall apart and you give up. Don't give up. 
A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. It's not about how many times you get knocked down. It's about how many times you get up. Don't give up because you messed up. And so we've got to, if we're going to, if our decisions are going to stick, and that's the goal. The goal is for us to grow. The goal is for those decisions to stick. We, we got to firm up our footing. We got to be resilient. We got to be prepared. We've got to find the fruit. We got to celebrate the victories. We got to acknowledge those victories. We got to see each day of growth as a victory. And if we fall, and I should probably say when we fall, we get right back up. Finally, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 58, if you want your decision to stick, you got to fix your focus. you got to fix your focus. Look at the end of verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The word labor comes from the word meaning cut. It teaches us that work is going to have some toil. It's going to have some struggle. There could be some pain to it. Um, By the way, most growth requires something to either be broken down or it requires some toil or some struggle. Any weightlifter will tell you that they're really sore when they start pushing themselves lifting weights. If you're going to bulk up, Physically, it's going to have some pain associated to it. If you're going to bulk up spiritually, there's going to be some toil. There's going to be some struggle to it. And then this word vain is found 18 times in the New Testament. 14 of them it is translated in this way, vain. It has the idea of either physically or metaphorically empty. So worthless without value or literally an empty vessel. So what do we learn from fixing our focus? Number one, don't get discouraged. Um, Let me make this real clear, and I I don't think anybody will struggle with this truth, but living for God in this world is not easy. Um, Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, um, before dealing with all the Passion Week stuff, he begins praying for his disciples, and he, in John chapter 17, records it. In John chapter 17, Beginning in verse 14, Jesus prays this. He says, I have given them thy word, and the word world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Um, living, in, living for God in this world is not easy. But your toil... Your struggle and your effort are seen and will not go unrewarded. I love the end of this verse. It says, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The idea simply being, the work that you put in is not going to have empty results. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 makes this really clear. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season... We shall reap if we faint not. Listen, it's hard. And you're going to work and it's going to feel like you're running on a treadmill. You're doing a whole lot of work and really not getting anywhere. It's going to seem like you're still in the exact same spot you started. But please understand this. Don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season... 
That due season isn't necessarily our timing, by the way. In due season, we shall reap. I love that word, shall. Um, it, it indicates an absolute certainty. It is not a subjunctive where it is a possibility. That says we will reap or we shall reap. It will happen. It is a guaranteed certainty. If you're going to put the work in and, do, and be in the well-doing, you shall reap. Your effort, your toil, and your struggle are seen and will not go unrewarded. So don't get discouraged. But the other thing is, and this is, this is big, remember that the victory is already won. Now, I told you we'd get back to this word, therefore, okay? Um, and and I, I, I made you that promise, and we're going to get to it here. Therefore, anytime you see the word, therefore, you need to go backwards in the passage because it's saying that whatever I'm saying from, from this word forward is based on what came before it, okay? So we hit that, therefore, and we've got to ask why it's, what it's there for. Because the victory, verse 58 is true. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That truth is there because of verse 57 of 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Well, what's verse 57 of it say? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how did that victory come about? Let's move backwards a little bit. Look at verses 55 and 56 of 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is thy, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So that victory has come about, has been provided, because the sting of death and the sting of sin has been removed. Well, how did it get removed? I mean, we see that ending prepositional phrase through our Lord Jesus Christ, but let's dive in a little bit more. This points us back to the entirety of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is Paul's defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his promise of a future resurrection to all who are in Christ. So don't miss this. Victory... Over sin, victory over Satan was achieved when Jesus Christ came out of that tomb. Now that that happened almost 2,000 years ago. That means for the past 2,000 years, victory has been assured over sin, death, and Satan. So my focus is no longer on my efforts to win. My focus is on the one who has already won. And you know what? It's a whole lot easier playing the game when you know you're going to win. I'm a baseball fan. Huge baseball fan here. Um, I'm a Tigers fan. Don't don't hate on me. I'm a Tigers fan. It's been a rough few years. Um, (laughs) Tigers have not been on the positive side of many blowouts recently. Um, Normally when there's a blowout in a Tigers game, it's 
them on the receiving end and not the giving end. But you know what's fun? It's fun to be at a baseball game in about the sixth inning when your team is up 14 to nothing. It's just fun at that point. I mean, it's just, it's just gravy. Like, how much, how much can we pile on? How many more can we tack on? Can we drop 20? Who knows? We got three innings and six runs. The way we've been playing, it's a possibility. It's a lot of fun to be on the winning end of a blowout. For the Christian, let me tell you something. You are living on the winning end of the greatest blowout in history. Like, I come into the Christian life and I come into the battle knowing the outcome and that Satan is unabashedly destroyed, both literally and figuratively, in the end. The victory, it's already there. And it's a whole lot easier to be in the fight when you already know you win. So in order to have that decision stick, we've got to fix our focus. We've got to see the victory. Let me show you a couple more verses because, well, why not? Romans chapter 6 and verse 9. Let me tell you, if there's one chapter I could tell every Christian to memorize, it would be Romans chapter 6. You get a grip on the truth of Romans chapter 6, it will change your Christian walk. But Romans chapter 6 verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. If if you go on, and we won't read the entire chapter, as much fun as that would be, Dan. I know, I know. Um, If you go on, you're going to find that Christ's death providing victory gives us victory over sin. It means that we can make sin a complete non-reality in our lives. Um, We can yield our members to serve righteousness and not sin. I mean, Romans chapter 6 is loaded if you need victory over sin. Um, But again, over in Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15, the author writes, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's a lot to unravel because the author of Hebrews is very verbose. But here's what it says. The creation who was subject to death had death taken for them so that the one who had that power over over death, that is the devil. I love how he even says that little four-word phrase. That is the devil. In case you weren't sure who we were talking about, let me make it real clear for you. That is the devil. So that now, you're free. Look, I love camp. I, I love the decisions made at camp. Man, I love the opportunity to get in an environment where you can focus on your spiritual life. I don't always love to see sleep deprivation for myself, but if that's the one thing I lose is sleep, I can handle that. But I'm going to tell you, I don't want these camp decisions to be, we had an awesome time at camp, and then life goes back to normal. Truth, truth be told, that's, that's really, as a youth pastor, I think I can, I can, Dan and I are pretty much on the same page when we've talked about this, that's our worst nightmare. But if those decisions are going to stick, you better firm up your footing. Amen. 
You got to be resilient. You got to be prepared. Because the obstacles and the fight is coming. You got to find the fruit. Celebrate the day-by-day growth, the day-by-day victories. And when you fall, just get right back up. And finally, you got to fix your focus. You've got to set your focus on the fact that victory has already been attained for you. That thing that you're struggling with, the power of it is gone. And victory has already been won. I believe if you take those three tips as Paul sets them forth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58, what you're going to see is those decisions, they'll stick. And the truth of the matter is, greater than any personal benefit we get or greater than any benefit the church gets, when those decisions stick, this world is going to see Christians whose lives bring about nothing but glory for a great, great God. And when it all comes down to it, That should be the goal.